This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 705 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I am your head number one, and my name is Matt Baum. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick, but you can call me your head number two if you want to. You may want to ask your children to leave the room because things could get heated as we discuss the most controversial issue of Amazing Spider-Man of all time. Personally, I am terrified to even broach this subject, Joe Patrick. You've been warned, people. In this episode, we are back reviewing new comics from the last two Wednesdays. And after that, we're going to tell you listeners about our must-read new comic picks for next week. Finally, we'll offer up a sampling of our Patreon Extra, and this time we're counting down our top five favorite Spider-Mans that aren't the 616 Peter Parker to get hyped for the new Across the Spider-Verse movie. It's all happening in this Spidey senses-shattering episode, and it begins with review time in the ziggurat. New Comic Book Day Wednesday, May 24. time again to dig into 12 new comics from the previous two new comic wednesdays we'll review and rate each using our wildly subjective buy it skim it or leave it ratings and this time our review pile features father and son fury adventures the return of the black eyed peas writing team world war ii vets in hot action and did we mention the most controversial issue of amazing spider-man ever but it all starts with a super massive one shot. And it was big. It was a big one. As Matt said, our first review out of the gate is the super massive 2023 one shot from image comics. It's 56 pages for five 99. It's written by Kyle Higgins, Ryan Parrott, Melissa Flores, and Matt groom with art by Daniela Denculo. Sorry, Danielle or Daniela colors by Walter Biamonte letters by Becca Carey with a cover by D. Nicolo. Here's your solicit. A doorway has opened. Beyond it lies the Holy Grail. Yes, that Holy Grail. But why are Radiant Black, Rogue Sun, and the Dead Lucky all so desperate to get their hands on it? And who is the mysterious woman who stands in their way? Massive verse architects Kyle Higgins, Ryan Parrott, Melissa Flores, and Matt Groom. Yeah, Matt Groom, not Matt Broom. Matt Broom is a different Yeah, he's different, a different, different guy. He's an old image guy. Yeah are joined by superstar art team Daniela DiNicuolo and Walter Biamonte. You know them from Power Rangers, Shattered Grid, and Seven Secrets. For a 50-page one-shot crossover event, Supermassive is a Massiveverse comic. Thank you, Image. I had already forgotten that from literally one sentence earlier. Hey, at least they're telling you, though. We're going to yell about DC not hey, telling us. Hey, yeah, you late. know what? At no complaints. At least no they're complaints. telling us. <laughs> This is the second in what now appears to be an annual massive verse event that brings all the characters together for one big adventure. The last one, uh, from what I could uh, see, also involved Infernal, Infernal Girl Red, who is not present in this adventure. Prior to this, the only book in the line that I'd read, or apparently 
one of the only books that I'd read was Radiant Black number one in 2020. And I've always meant to go back to it. Considering how little I know about everything to do with the massive verse, Higgins and his pals do an awesome job crafting an exciting tale that doesn't punish the reader for their ignorance. Yeah, you might miss the finer points of what's going on with the two hosts of the Radiant Black Power, or as they call them in this issue, the Radiance Black, which tickles me, <laughs> or specifics about the long history of Rogue Sun, but the writers gave you enough detail to keep you invested and not confused. The art by Daniela De Niculo is buck wild. I first saw their stuff in Tom Taylor's Seven Secrets, and its fun blend of Western comic and anime styles is a blast to look at. The story gets an epilogue featuring a cameo that threw me for a loop, to say the least. Not sure what, if anything, is going to come out of that, but time will tell. Supermassive 2023 offers an exciting adventure that's accessible to new readers like myself. I enjoyed it so much that I went back and read the first story arc of Radiant Black last night. It's great, and you, I can't think of a better recommendation than that giving this a buy it. Radiant Black really is great, and these guys have been super careful crafting their shared universe in a sense that you can pick up and start reading wherever you want. And that's great. It's just a great idea. And like, look, I haven't kept up on a lot of this stuff. I was never lost here. Didn't bother me for a minute. They immediately nope. set up like one of the other characters didn't know what was going on with radiant black. And so he was like, ah, yeah, we kind of share our stuff now. And I was like, all right, fine. There. Good. Thank you. <laughs> We're going to talk about other issues that, have trouble introducing their characters later. But yeah, this is great. And they're doing it with a very manga, almost kind of like webtoon sensibility, but it's dialed back enough that an old fart like me can read it and enjoy it. You know, I realize what they're reaching for here. It's Super Sentai stuff. It's a younger crowd, but it's very well done. This art, I love this artist. And this was fun. And I think the guest, the guest uh, appearance, I don't know. I mean, look, it's, uh, it's image I mean, whatever. Comics. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's probably, it might just be a funny Easter egg. They so. could do whatever they want. You know, it's image comics. I, I'm, it was fun. Fine. I'm in. It's a buy it. This stuff is great. And these guys are having a good time doing it. And now for something completely different. We jump to 007 for King and country. Number two. We missed number one. This is from Dynamite. It's 32 pages for $4.99. It's written by Philip Kennedy Johnson. Cover by Joseph Michael Linsner. Art by Giorgio Spalletta. Colors by Francesco Sagala. And Afni's Posa. Letters by Jeff Eckleberry. Here is your solicit. An all-new nail-biting The bond. only one I'm confident that we pronounce correctly is Jeff Eckleberry. Yeah, pretty much. Well, I feel like we got Philip Kennedy. Johnson. I guess PK, PKJ. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Here's your solicit, an all-new nail-biting Bond mission from superstar Philip Kennedy Johnson, who's working on Action Comics currently, Giorgio Spalletta, who worked on Red Sonja. Accused of murder on British soil, James Bond has been branded a traitor by his own government. As M sends the entire 00 division after 007, Bond must go underground with only one ally. Gwendolyn Gann, 003, another traitor, presumed dead secretly on a clandestine mission with global implications. It has been quite a while since I've checked in with the Bond comics, but PKJ's name caught my eye, and it turns out he is not just a good superhero writer. The story sets up another kind of rogue undercover Bond scenario, but cleverly here, he's working with an older agent that's actually way better at their job, and he's finding his usual tactics might get him killed. 
Linsner's covers are gorgeous and, like the credits for the Bond films, give the story a sexy intro, but it is Splatella's art that really shines. With as much talking and setup in Bond comics, they can become a bit of a slog, but the art team here keeps the story rolling with great action and some cool coloring tricks, like switching to a monochrome panel when Bond notices danger lurking. King and Country is continuing the excellent spy comic series readers have come to his expect. Bond, his Bondy sense. His Bond sense, yes. King and Country. Or, or his Jimmy sense. Gross. King and Country like continues the excellent spy comic series readers have come to expect from Dynamite with an excellent art team that really brings Bond's mission to life. I'm giving this a buy it. He senses it in his Jimmy. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Sorry. That's, a, that's the end of that. Uh, you know what? Yeah, I liked this too. I haven't read any of the any of the Dynamite Bond stuff. Uh, we went a very long while without reading any Dynamite comics. Mm-hmm. You may have noticed. Um, but I read both one and two, and I think they're great. Uh, the art is fantastic. Yeah. I like that this is not the movie Bond. This is the, this is the novel Bond. This right. is Ian Fleming's James Bond, right. not... Roger Moore's James Bond or Sean Connery's James Bond or even Daniel Craig's James Bond. I was going to say, or anyone that's played James Bond in the past 35 years. <laughs> or George Lazenby's James Bond. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the Bond of the novels. Right. And so he's different. You know, you mentioned something about how 003 is a better agent. Well, yeah, that's, that might be true, but I also kind of got the impression that this Bond is, is just kind of a... He's going guns blazing, shoot first, you know, kind of thug type Bond. He's not necessarily the suave debonair. Oh, see, now I know, disagree. I I think he's full on the suave debonair Bond, and that's part uh, of the problem. Like when this other agent, the sexy one, shows up from you know this evil group and says like, "I'm trying to get away from the evil group." Double three is like. Why do you trust her? She admitted she's a bad guy. Do you trust her because she's sexy? You moron, <laughs> you know? No, I'm not saying he's not a womanizer. I'm saying that this, uh, like, this didn't seem to me like the roll up to the poker table or the baccarat table. And, you know, he, he's more concerned about what he's going to drink after he assassinates somebody than, you know, being James Bond with the gadgets in the car. Sure. So it's, it's, a, it's a different tone, I guess. Uh, and I liked it. It's a buy it. Shield, the Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. All right, let's go from the world's greatest secret agent to the world's greatest secret agent's kid. Who also it's happens Fury to be a secret one. agent. <laughs> He's also a secret agent. Fury number one is the book. It's from Marvel Comics. It's 40 pages for $4.99. It's written by Al Ewing with art by Scott Eaton, Cam Smith, Tom Riley, Adam Kubert, and Ramon Rosanis. Colors are by Jordi Belair. Letters are by VC's Joe Caramagna with a uh, Adam Kubert cover. Here's your solicit. Who is Scorpio? A glamorous rogue agent with a deadly secret lures Nick Fury into the action thriller of a lifetime. His father's. Following the trail opens never before seen Fury files from the howling 40s, the swinging 60s, and today. But it takes more than one Nick Fury to unlock a mystery decades in the making. And to answer the question, who is Scorpio? A question so mysterious they asked it two times in one paragraph. Oh, we need to know. I mean, come on. We do. Al Ewing has the unenviable task of cleaning up the Fury family's nonsense in this 60th anniversary one shot. 
you may remember that Matt and I have been um, less than pleased by the unceremonious dumping of the original Nick Fury so Marvel could achieve movie synergy, turning Nick into a cosmic murderer forced to do penance doing, I don't know, something while wearing a sheet over his head on the moon is probably one of the worst send-offs for a classic character that I can remember. I don't even have a problem with Nick Jr., just the opposite, in fact. I've enjoyed lots of his stories quite a bit. But the way Marvel crammed Samuel L. Jackson into the 616 was very silly. Yeah. Thankfully, Al Ewing is here to throw Nick Sr. a proper retirement party so Jr. can follow in his father's footsteps. Ewing's story is a loving tribute to all eras of Nick Fury set against a decades spanning mystery. You may have heard us ask it before. Who is Scorpio? He captures the grizzled soldier tone of Nick Sr. perfectly while Nick Jr. stands apart from his dad, cool, collected, and cunning. The art is pretty decent throughout, especially brilliant during the Tom Riley sequence, which is set during the 1960s where Nick Fury goes to space. That book, those pages just like crackle yeah, off the page. They're cool as hell. And that is because Jordi Belair also does a fantastic job utilizing different palettes oh, and yeah. coloring techniques to give each era its own distinct look. I did not really know what to expect from the Fury one shot. In fact, I thought it was a miniseries, but I'm not entirely surprised by the new status quo for Nick Jr. And I'm glad to see Nick Sr. get a retirement that's much more fitting than his time as the man on the wall. This was a fun read. And honestly, whatever Marvel decides, they can bring back Nick Sr. in a heartbeat. Sure. He's not gone. Sure. He's just away doing what only Nick can do, where only Nick can do it. This is a fun read. It's a buy it. Yeah. And the very last page is for more when Nick Fury's doing, check out Fantastic Four number seven. You're like, oh man. So like, yes. Uh, oh, that's where they around. introduced the new shield. They right. revealed the new shield. Yeah. yeah. And he's going to be around and that's cool. And look, this is a fun read for all the reasons that you said. And I think Al Ewing did a very nice sort of Jeff Johns-esque job of coming in and going, all right, let's thread this needle and make this work and try and make everybody happy. It's good. I like it. It's a buy it from me. I just, I'm going to harp on it one more friggin' time. If Marvel had any balls at all, they would just say, yeah, this is Nick Fury. This is him. And everybody would go, what? What do you mean? We've known Nick Fury as well. And he's like, yeah, those were all life model decoys or something. This is Nick Fury. You know, like you didn't even, that's how good Nick Fury is, you know, and just okay, but, do it. But why Just though? do why it. Why can't they have their cake and eat it too? You don't need to. You don't need to have a kid that comes out of nowhere and stuff like it's, that's almost more interesting. If they just swapped him out, you were no, wrong. I, you were I don't wrong. agree with you. All this time. I don't time, agree with this you know? take. <laughs> like, no. uh, come on. I, I, just, I think you can have both Nick Furies present in the Marvel Universe I, I, I think it's silly. If you want one, then do it with one. And I have no problem with it being the Samuel Jackson one. Just do it. Not Al Ewing's well, fault. Well, Nothing now to do with he's the fault. one. Now he's the one. That I was the whole it. point of this con. And that's what they did. And that's fine. And I'm glad Al Ewing did it. It is a buy it. I had a lot of fun. They should have just, they should have done something similar no. to this Are from the get go. That's all. Nobody there. No comic fan would be satisfied with them saying, oh yeah. Nick Fury since the forties has secretly been an LMD. They didn't, first of all, they didn't even have LMDs back in the forties, no, but they could have said it's different people. Yeah. It was clones, whatever is the watcher did Shut it. I don't up. care. Oh yeah. That's plenty better. of way to do it. That's better than just him having a kid. Yeah. Uh, whatever. You lunatic. Who also lost the same eye. Yeah. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. 
Hey, Matt, speaking of losing eyes, didn't Daredevil lose an eye recently? I don't think so. He looks just fine in this comic, Joe. <laughs> I mean, and if he did, he almost looks like he almost looks like nothing in the last six months has happened. I know, right? It's almost like nobody told the Black Eyed Peas what was going on in Daredevil's book. And that's why we're going to talk about Daredevil and Echo, number one from Marvel. It's 32 pages. It's $4.99. It's written by Taboo and B. Earl, with art by Phil Noto and letters by VC's other boy, Clayton Cowles. Wait, is B. Earl also a Black Eyed Pea? No, he is Taboo's creative partner, but he will be a Black Eyed Pea by default for the sake of this review. Here's your solicit. Something stirs beneath Hell's Kitchen! For months, the bloodthirsty and demonic Demo Goblin, and it turns out not to be that, but anyway, has been kidnapping children for reasons unknown in this series. Daredevil and Echo discover why as Demo Goblin works to wake an ancient and powerful evil deep within the bowels of the city. Like way to ruin the last page reveal, by the way, solicit, you know, (laughs) that's not until the very last page that we see this. I even left it mainly out of my review because I didn't want to use a spoiler. All right. Reunited at last with Echo, herself fresh from a brief time as a host of the Phoenix Force, which you would think you might need to take a couple weeks off after that, right? I mean, she had a she pounded a Gatorade and a Cliff Bar I and she It falls to Daredevil to stop Dima Goblin and save not only the children, but everyone in New York. By the way, you heard that last part right. Oh, maybe Demo Goblin is the dude doing it in the past. Yes. And Demo Goblin. Which is not revealed, by the way. Yes. And, well, I mean, it's kind of revealed by that last page, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I guess when Demo Goblin comes out with boobs. The Black Eyed Peas collaboration with Marvel continues here because you demanded it. And while I've been hard on this writing team in the past, I will say this is a marked improvement. There's still some dialogue that does not sound like the characters in their other books at all. And a gangs of New York flashback story that connects the past to these characters a little too cleverly. I'm glad Echo is done with the Phoenix BS from her time with the Avengers, but her relationship with Daredevil certainly doesn't make a lick of sense if this is supposed to be in continuity. And no spoilers, but there is a villain reveal that definitely deals with semi-current Marvel continuity. Well, I mean, we Dima already goblin. It. It's in the, it's <laughs> yeah. in the solicit, right? <laughs> Noto's art is really great, and his soft, then vibrant coloring does a lot for the storytelling. He's more of a pose artist for sure, and some of the action gets a little wonky, uh, like when the chairs are flying around. But this looks to me like he's experimenting a little bit with his style and trying to go in a more classic comic storytelling sort of action direction so there's a there's a a scene in this book where it looks like echo throws an entire armful of chairs at once yeah <laughs> like four chairs at the same time with one arm but i think they're coming like, at her i don't think she's actually i don't think that's what's her. going on I, I was like that i don't know about that one phil yeah back to the back to the drawing board on that one bud While I didn't care for the forced connections of the flashback storyline to the modern characters, there is a legit mystery here that ties into the aftermath of absolute carnage, I think. My guess is this comic was probably supposed to come out shortly after absolute carnage when they were doing that Ravencroft, all those minis where carnage took over the insane asylum, but this got pushed back Mm. due to Echo's upcoming show. Maybe 
I don't no, know. No, because Daredevil. Elektra is dressed like Daredevil. I, I don't disagree, but that was also going on back then. That went on for a long not time. Not that far back. Oh, sure. That Ravencroft not stuff. During, uh, not during event, not during Absolute Carnage, dude. No, no, no. This is the after Absolute Carnage. Cletus Cassidy got put in Ravencroft, and then a few months later, we got this Ravencroft Yeah, like series. they did the Cult of Carnage thing. Yeah, and the Ravencroft one-shot. That is where yeah, Shriek yeah. turned into Dima Goblin. So Dima Goblin, That yeah. may have been right around the same time that Elektra showed up, because she's been in that Daredevil costume for more than a year. It may have been right around the same time. I don't know. I don't know. Or... I, I, I think the timing of this is very questionable. Or... Phil Noto added some stuff to this book. It's hard. Or nobody know. told Taboo and B Earl what was going on. Yeah, or Taboo and B Earl just weren't caught up, and they were like, "Yeah, we know what's going on in Daryl right now." Because uh, because it's not only uh, like because they purposefully included in the script that Echo is no longer the Phoenix, which just happened. Right. They definitely and that it's a, one another one of those things where they could have just added that to make this more relevant right now. It's hard I don't to know. know. I'll buy that they delayed it for the show, updated what updated a few things here and there yeah. just so that it makes it look like it takes place in current continuity, but they didn't catch everything. Right. No, definitely. Sort of like that Spawn Batman comic book that we did where we were like, what is yeah, this? Right. This right. is so new 52. I don't get it at all. They're like, but here's a mention of something that's going on in Spawn right now. Like, okay. Hold right. on. Yeah. It's like they, it's like <laughs> they tried to make changes to make it more up to date, but they didn't catch all the references. They literally tried to fix it in post. Yep. Right. I'm giving this a skim it. It is not the train wreck that a lot of the stuff these guys have worked on is. They, they may be getting better. I'll say that. <laughs> Look, man, I, I'm, I'll flat out say it. I thought that this was good. Uh, n- let me, uh, let me, hold on. Uh, let me, let me let off the gas just a little. Yeah, bit. easy. Like when Daredevil's like, man, these chairs sure are getting aggro. I was like, okay, easy, Matt. You don't talk like okay. that. <laughs> I, I thought that this was pretty decent, but... It has a lot of puzzling right. inconsistencies. And if they had not mentioned anything up to date at all, if, Hele- if Electra had not been in it, if they had not mentioned the Phoenix, they could have played this off as a story set in the past and we would have been done with it. Yeah, or even just a story, you know, set in between some story somewhere. Who cares? Right. But because they chose to include current elements, it's very confusing. And again, like you could read this disconnected from any continuity context and be and enjoy it just fine. It's not like it's a sure. deal breaker. Sure. But for somebody that for people that follow, like like I Daredevil, like less than a month ago, had his eyes gouged out, both of them. Right. And it's like, well, nope, he's fine. So okay, it's it's weird. I also, the forced connection stuff, the slight spoiler, having there be a Matt Murdock ancestor right. in the, in the pre, in the past story is one thing it's, you know, it's an eye roll, but it's fine. Forcing an echo connection as well, let alone uh, an echo connection that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Considering what I remember about the character's debut. Right. Uh, Complete it's, it's, with the handprint, like the, on her face. The handprint, you know, like, like come I, on, I, that hand, I, that handprint. I don't believe. Prove me wrong. I could be wrong. I'd be willing to. I'm willing to admit that I could be wrong. 
But I don't think that handprint had anything to do with her cultural identity. I don't think so either. Lay it on us. I think it had something to do with her dad or with the kingpin because she was working yeah. for the kingpin. She wasn't even working for the hand. No, you're right. It was something to do with the Anyway, it's it, too, inco- too confusing, a little bit too cheesy with the force connections. It's a skim it for me. I thought Noda was good here. Uh, sometimes he gets a little... I think he's the was the opposite of experimental in this. I think he was much more, you know, streamlined traditional comic book art. And his, some of his more recent efforts have been like kind of out there. Oh, okay. This, I thought here you go. Echo Echo, Maya Lopez, Native American in the Cheyenne Nation, whose father worked for the Kingpin before he was killed on Kingpin's order as he was dying. He reached out is. his hand to her, leaving a bloody handprint on her face. This is why she is. wears the handprint on her face. Nothing to do with her culture at all. <laughs> but like, they got to put the Native American chick in a handprint so I mean, that, like, you know, she's supposed to be Are we really to, not uh, going to pick up on this taboo? Give us a little credit. We'll figure it out. You know, like, come on. Yeah, it's a skim. It's just it, too much of that, too much of that cute stuff and too confusing. Yeah. It, too clever for its own good. All right. Well, I learned my lesson from uh, Matt's last review, and I'm not going to read the entire solicit of my next review. So here we go. It's <laughs> We Are Scarlet Twilight number one from Red Five Comics. It's 32 pages for 3.95. That's a throwback price. 3.95. Yeah. It's written, drawn, colored, and lettered by Benjamin Morse. Look at that guy go. He's a busy boy with a cover. Yeah, he, with a cover by Morse. Here is part of your solicit. It's 1938, and time to meet our hero, Captain Lancet. He's a golden age, all-American crime buster who's about to accidentally create the world's greatest villain. The rest of the solicit is redacted for your own protection. Oh, so they're, I didn't read the solicit. My guess is they spoil the best part of the book. They spoil everything after that moment that I'm about to talk about. You guys, come on. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I mean, sort of. They sort of spoil it. They spoil it enough that I don't want to mention it. We are Scarlet Twilight was self-published as part of a Kickstarter campaign in 2021. Now hitting the stands courtesy of red five. Thanks red five. The story starts out as a competent, but typical golden age throwback featuring an archetypical hero and his femme fatale nemesis, Madam Satanica. Great name. Yeah. I mean, like she's obviously not going to grow up to, you know, work with the poor. She's not going to grow up to become Congresswoman Satanica. Yeah. You know, well, probably. maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah. Depends. Yeah. Depends. <laughs> it's certainly well done, but at first glance, there doesn't seem to be anything too special about it. But then there was a huge plot twist about halfway through the issue that I legitimately did not see coming, which elevated the story far beyond your standard Golden Age homage. Morse's art is really tremendous. The book is stylistically beautiful. The colors are gorgeous. And Morse's line art invokes other 40s-inspired artists like Stephen Mooney and the late, great Dave Stevens. The action looks a bit stiff from time to time, like Matt said. You know, he's kind of a pose artist. Like Matt said about Phil Noto, that is. But otherwise, this book looks fantastic. We Are Scarlet Twilight looked like it was going to be yet another in a long line of loving homages to the golden age of comics. I definitely wasn't expecting the story that Morse ended up telling. I'm excited to read more of it. I'm giving this a buy it. I, I kind of love stories like this 
where you go in and and you're like, all right, I get it. They're they're doing a throwback thing. All right, take them for the throwback ride. Here we go. The art's good enough. I'll pay attention. And then they do a thing, and you go, whoa! <laughs> like I did not see that coming at all. But then they do the thing again, and then they do the thing on like the very on the very last page. We're like, wow, this really took you on a yeah. journey. You oh, know? yeah, really. It's not that they they didn't just do one thing. No, they did one thing, and then they did another thing. Yeah, it's great. It's just like the creator was like. I'm going to play in this playground, this old golden age playground. And I would argue most of the art from the golden age was extremely posed. So maybe he's doing some of that on purpose. I don't know, but I'm going to play in this playground, but there's no rules. There's just no rules. This is my world. I get to have fun with it. This was fantastic. Really enjoyed it. Giving it a huge buy it. It's, it's very good. Yeah. Now it's time to revisit the golden age of Chris Claremont's X-Men in Storm, number one, from Marvel's 32 pages. It's $4.99, and it's written by Anne Nascenti, with inker Sid Conchian, colorist Andrew Dalhouse, letterer VCs, Ariana Maher, which is new. I didn't know she was working for VC, well, VC all up in <laughs> They got <today>. a stable. <laughs> Pencils by Sid Conchian, and cover by Alan Davis, with colors by Alejandro Sanchez. Here is your solicit. Storm faces the blowback of her powers. Aurora Monroe, a.k.a. Storm, has been a thief, a goddess, and a leader of the X-Men. It is so odd that they only capitalize that first part. And she's just getting started. With her mutant ability to control the weather bolstered by her top-notch fighting skills, she's a formidable opponent like no other. As Callisto of the Morlocks can attest. She's got her butt kicked is what they're talking about. Yeah, she did. But when an elemental power emerges near the Xavier Mansion, it'll take Storm to the limit of her powers and beyond. Get ready for an electrifying all-new series showcasing Storm's days of her rocking her mohawk and leading the X-Men as she faces an all-new villain that will threaten to tear her apart from her team and what she thought she knew about herself. Marvel's. You know what? It's better... It's better than that solicit from last week where every word was capitalized. It's true. It's true. Marvel continues their theme of revisiting moments in characters' lives for shits and giggles, and this time with legendary writer Anne Nascenti, who never wrote Storm during her time as the punk rock leader of the Morlocks. I, I, I mean... <laughs> so, whatever. <laughs> I, I, maybe somewhere. I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, know. let the head-scratching begin. It's one thing to revisit a character's past, but there are story aspects here that not only add new aspects to Chris Claremont's classic story, but also add bizarre choices like Kitty getting massive arm tattoos that she never got and Storm exhibiting I, powers she's never had. <laughs> it's weird. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. It's just weird. And when paired with terrible dialogue and characters acting completely different than they did in Claremont's story. It leaves the reader wondering what the hell did I just read? The art does not help much either. Characters are making bizarre faces. Some that aren't even finished like a mystique and nightcrawler panel together or the panel where storm blows a tidal wave away from some kids and onto a cartoonishly small boat. (laughs) The colors and inking further muddy the already suspect artwork, leaving the whole story looking like a mess. And is a legend. 
who wrote some very important comics, but she never wrote the X-Men during the time that this takes place. And she makes some absolutely baffling choices to bring the plot to what should be a fairly simple cliffhanger to complete confusion. I don't get it. I'm not sure who this is for, since new readers won't recognize this team and old guys like me have no clue what is happening. I have to give this a flat out leave it. This was terrible. I mean, yeah. I, so I don't really think it's necessary for like the fact that Ann Nascenti never wrote the X-Men during this time doesn't bother me. Who cares? No, I, I agree. But everybody but, else that's doing this did write their character at the time that well, they were visiting it. I, I'm sure that we I'm sure that we can find somewhere that is not the case, but it's not not the point. It, for me, there's room in my heart for uh, for it. There's room in my heart for a writer who isn't known for writing that source material to go do a throwback. Oh, book. if it's what, good, if, sure. <laughs> no, I understand. Yeah, if it's good, yes. But this book is not good. It's no, just just like that sentence. It is capital N, capital G, not good. And uh, the art is bad and for all of the reasons that you you said. And I don't mean to say anything more because I don't want to harp on it. No, the script is baffling. This comic book is bad. It's, it's a so leave it. Bad. It's bad. New comic book day Wednesday, May 31st. My first review for this week is Cat Fight number one from IDW. It's 32 pages for $3.99. It's written by Andrew Wheeler with pencils by Elias Curiatis. Inks by August. Augusta? Augusta? I think it's Augusta. Probably just August, yeah. Colors by Dennis Yatras with letters by Hassan Altmani Alaho El Hao. Oh, you know what? I think we've been putting an extra vowel in yeah, that. Maybe name. El Hao? It's know. not it's not El Ajo, it's El Hao. Here's your solicit. John Wick meets Kill Bill meets Cats. Oof. Oof. Fe- <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Felix lives a life of high fashion and indulgence. Sure, he steals to get it, but he gets it on his own nonetheless. When a mysterious character by the name of Schrodinger threatens Felix's only surviving family member in an attempt to recruit him into a crime syndicate, Felix is sent on a globe-trotting game of cat and mouse in a heightened world of colorful criminal masterminds. Get it? Cat, cat, cat. Now, I love me a good heist story. Give me a tale about a master thief in over their head and I'm a happy camper. Catfight seems to fit that build nicely. John Wick and Kill Bill are pretty outlandish comparisons to make. And I don't get the running cat theme at all. Yeah. Not one bit. Did I don't get it. not need it. Like, my name's Tabitha. Get it? And my yeah, name's I mean, Kit Kat. Ha ha! Like, settle f- down. <laughs> but, you know, here we are. It, you know, the cat thing, it is what it is. But here, what, here we are. This is a slick and stylish caper courtesy of Wheeler and Curiatsis. The story is straightforward, yet full of twists and turns that keep both Felix and the reader guessing. Kiriazis's art is weird, but in a good way. His stylized figures play well against the gorgeous world-spanning backdrops. The colors, letters, and book design all come together to lift up the material as well. Catfight number one is a thief's tale in the classic vein. The, the fixation on actual cats is odd. But not so odd that I found it distracting. It's like it's on to be fair, like it's nobody is like, 
Oh, Tabitha. <laughs> and they even make a joke like where she asks him or his grandma asks him if you've heard of a guy named Schrodinger and he makes a joke about Pavlov and she's like, shut up. So they're aware of it. And so, yeah, I just went with it. I thought this issue was a pleasant surprise. I'm giving it a buy it. The fixation on cats bothered me. <laughs> it really bothered me. Uh, it's going to be a your mileage may vary yeah, kind of situation. You don't need to do it, you guys. You got a good story. You got good art. You got a good character. I'm in. I don't need a cat burglar showing up at a cat mask named after He's a cat. He's not even a cat burglar, Matt. <laughs> I know. Cat burglars, <laughs> cat burglars wear all black and climb in right. third story windows. I get it. If this is like people that heard about cat burglars and went, we should do that. They're all cats, right? Like, yeah, let's not research it. Let's just go with that. <laughs> You know, you guys, come on, settle down. I'm going to buy it. The story's good. Art's good. It's fun. Just dial back on the cat. The cat thing is weird. It's weird and unnecessary. Dial back on the cat bullshit. That's all I ask. And uh, like everything else about it, I liked. The cat stuff, though. Yeah. Like it may as well be sleeping in a giant litter box. You know, come on. Yeah. Just why? Why? Don't do it. Memorial Day may be over, but Garth Ennis is still celebrating, kids. In the pages of Battle Action 2023, number one from Rebellion. It's 36 pages for $5.99. This was written by Garth Ennis, art and cover by Keith Burns, and colors by Jason Wordy. There are more, and they'll mention them in the solicit. Battle Action returns with an all-new five-issue miniseries of thrilling war tales. Each issue features two brand-new stories from today's top talent. In this issue, famous flyboy Johnny Red and his Falcon Squadron return to hunt down sneaky German raiders in the skies of World War II, written by everybody I just named, and a brand-new HMS Nightshade story by John Wagner, who's worked on Judge Dredd, and a tale about the bonds of friendship forged during naval battles drawn by Dan Cornwell, who worked on Rock of the Reds. This new stand edition features a gorgeous cover by Keith Burns featuring stirring aerial combat. I don't disagree. <laughs> uh, I mean, self-described stirring it's aerial beautiful. combat. beautiful. Yes. War comics can be a tough sell these days, but it's pretty safe to say that no one out there is doing them better than Garth Ennis. Like his other war comics, his Johnny Red story is amazingly researched and packs a ton of character into this 14-page story. The art by Burns is absolutely amazing. His fighter work is incredible, but he also gets to have some fun with this whole birds of prey thing as the story takes a whimsical turn. The second story about a naval officer recounting his time aboard a Corvette, which is a fast attack ship that escorted convoys, is just amazing again the art is incredible in its detail and it made serving aboard any world war ii naval vessel look like absolute hell both of these stories were excellent and this is coming from a nerd that typically doesn't reach for war comics rebellion was nice enough to send us a copy of last year's battle action trade paperback so i'm definitely going to be checking that out we don't read enough rebellion stuff on this show and every time i check out their books i am blown away by the quality. I am giving this a huge buy. I'm intimidated by their Britishness. They're just very British. Well, I mean, I'll, I, I'll say this though. If you I just get on your Duolingo and do your British exercises, you'd be able to read I, this too. Okay. <laughs> uh, what do you get? Do they like uh, gamify it? Like with little achievements and yeah, yeah, medallions yeah. and yeah, stuff. Yeah. The- all right. I'm in, I'm in. I will say that I was pleasantly surprised that I did not find any square word balloons. So thumbs up to that. Uh, you know, 
I liked this a lot. And I didn't read the solicit in advance. And so when I read the comic, I was like, oh, these are reprints because there's something about both stories that feels old. Very classic. Yeah. Not like, you know, wretchedly old, not obviously not golden or silver age old, but like if you had told me that these stories had been published in the nineties, I would have believed you, but apparently they're all new and that's great. Uh, that's not a, a, it's not a, you know, a, a, a criticism in any way. It's just, you know, an, an observation. Yeah. So battle action was a like, real silver age. British this is a, this is a revival yeah. series. Yeah. I did read that. I, I agree with you. I, I liked this quite a bit. I liked the lead story better of the two. Not that uh, they were both great, but I liked the, the, the lead story about Johnny red a little bit better. I liked the kind of rivalry uh, with the airmen and the, and the women serving on the base. Yeah. Like that was kind of a fun dynamic. Well done. Beautiful art. It's a buy. Meanwhile, at the hall of justice. Here we go. All right. You know what? This is, we don't need more of an introduction than that. <laughs> Let's get right into it. It's the power girl special. Number one from DC comics. It's 48 pages for five 99. It's written by Leah Williams and Joanne Starrer with art by, Marguerite Sauvage and Natasha Bustos with colors by Sauvage, Marissa Louise and Tamra Bonvillain. Letters are by Becca Carey, who uh, also lettered the Supermassive one shot. Oh, good on you, Becca. Huh. And Ariana Maher, who lettered the backup story. Cover by Sauvage. Here's your solicit. Power Girl takes center stage. With new powers and a new mission, Power Girl faces a challenge unlike any she's experienced before in this shocking one-shot, rising from the events of Lazarus Planet and Action Comics. Remember that, it's important. With Omen's guidance, Power Girl now strives to battle the demons, literal and figurative, lurking within the minds of some of the greatest superheroes in the DC Universe. None of that happens in this issue. But... The nefarious Johnny Sorrow has been searching for a connection to Earth Zero, which they continuously refer to as Earth Prime in this comic. Yeah. And the superheroine's work may unwittingly give him the means to make their world his personal stage. Can Power Girl and her estranged super family bring down the curtain on Sorrow's evil plans? And at what cost? Uh, you know, I... I did not read the solicit before I read this comic. I didn't really feel like I had needed to because I had read all of the uh, action comics backups. I was prepared, but reading it now, I see all of the inconsistencies. Yeah. I'm just pi piling up. Yep. <laughs> uh, I was shocked that an editor did not hit flag that earth prime earth zero thing, but ain't my job. Leah Williams has slowly turned Power Girl into DC's version of America Chavez, a young woman from a lost alternate universe with a chip on her shoulder and the ability to literally punch holes in reality. Also, she wears a jacket. She is just yeah. a Latin heritage away from being pretty much America Chavez. Right? Exactly. But it's taken what seems like an eternity to get here with a completely irrelevant detour with psychic powers granted by Lazarus Planet nonsense. Barf. In the end, the psychic stuff gets discarded once it's served its purpose by bringing Power Girl, now known as Paige, together with her new mentor. Matt, don't ask any questions. I'm going to get to it. Ugh. Her mentor and almost immediate best friend, Lilith. Now, I have spent 
six months reading action comics and learning about all of Power Girl's new psychic abilities. And they literally throw them in the garbage. Yeah. yeah. In this issue. It's great. <laughs> Once the story is done, forget it. Never mind. Are you wondering where the new name came from? Are you curious about how the whole psychic thing got started in the first place? Are you looking for literally any context explaining what's happening in this $6 comic? Too bad. There isn't so much as a single editor's note telling you to go read the action comics backup stories. Now, Joe, you might be saying, it's in the solicit. And you're right, it is in the solicit. And I will remind you once again that the vast majority of people that buy comic books, whether it's in digital or in print, do not read the solicit before they make their informed buying decision. Yeah, you know why we do? They do not do Because it. none of you are reading it, and we're trying to set up the story without spoilers. That is the job of the solicit, okay? Sometimes the solicit decides to spoil things. It does, and we redact that. <laughs> we try our best to, you know. Right. Now, I'm, I'm going to go so far as to say that even people that purchase digital comics have already made a decision about yes. whether or not they're going to buy a thing based on the cover, the character, and the creators, and the solicit plays little to no part in and it. And I'm not going to say this again. When you put one shot on the cover, you call it a one shot. That one shot should stand alone and do something. Either start a story or just tell a single well, story. There you go. To be Done. fair, it does say Power Girl Special. Fine. But it probably also says Power Girl Special number one. One, and then one, it also shot. Says one shot. Yeah. I don't have the cover in front of me, but in the past, that's how it is. I'm looking at it. Power Girl Special number one, one shot. Right okay. There. Really, in case the point hasn't been driven home enough, this is the real, actually, the equivalent of like Power Girl number five. Yes. Because it is it is the fifth or sixth chapter of a storyline that's been going since Action Comics 1051. They are currently on 1055. So it's this is sixth sixth chapter and it's extra length. Now, all of that is the fault of the marketing department, though, not Williams and Sauvage. I can't stress that enough. No shade on the creators for this decision. Williams's script does deliver some nice moments for Power Girl especially regarding her relationship with the Superman family. And I do love Johnny Sorrow, even if it seems like we're playing kind of fast and loose with continuity here. So can I ask you, was the Superman family being dicks to Power Girl? No, it's all in her head. And they, (sighs) it's great. That is even better. It is abundantly clear if you read, like they address it in this issue. So Johnny Sorrow has been messing with her this whole time and that's why she's sad. Nope. No, 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 no. Oh, she's no. sad for different reasons. She's sad for a lot of reasons. Oh, boy. I honestly, like, read the action comics back up. I don't if, care. If you're, no, if you're I'm injured. not going to. I don't care. <laughs> Williams also gets points for the in-canon appearance of Streaky the Supercat. Thank you, Leah. But ultimately, I'm just not that fond of this take on the character. Power Girl has always been weighed down by the baggage of her past but I've never really known her to be this insecure. This new take lacks that kind of hard edge that made Power Girl such a fun character to read. Yes. The story is beautifully drawn by Sauvage, but the action is pretty unclear a lot of the time. Yeah. And nothing to do with anyone's powers makes 
any visual sense. Look at it. Look at it closely. You will see somebody making a face or a sort of gesture and then a sound effect. And then there's crackling energy like somewhere in the panel. None of it reads right. The backup setting up the new Fire and Ice miniseries is a lot more successful with a fun story and cute dialogue from Starrer and excellent art from Bustos. I'll be looking forward to that series. That's just kind of like putting lipstick on a pig. Though, it's eight pages. Totally. It's eight pages. Totally. If, if I'm being totally fair, yeah, it's not, page one shot. It's certainly not worth buying just for that, 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 um, that backup. The Power Girl special is a so-so story at best with mostly good art that was failed miserably by DC's marketing department. I'd give this a skim it if you've already been reading action comics. Otherwise, though, I gotta give this. I gotta give this a leave. It. I don't think this does Power Girl any favors. No, this, I Joe. I hated this. This this upset me. One, I'll take the marketing stuff out of it. I'll take the fact that I didn't read the action comic stuff. All right, taking all that out of it. There were serious problems with the art where I could not follow the story. I did not know what was in reality and what was in her mind. And not knowing that something like that was going on would have helped maybe, but I would still argue, like you said, there's panels where you just cannot tell what's happening with people's powers. Right. Right. Second power girl. I've never thought to myself, power girl would be more interesting if she had more emotional baggage. Power girl is interesting because she should have all the emotional baggage in the world based on who she is and where she came from. She does have that emotional baggage. Sure. But she deals with it in a way that makes people think she's a bitch. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Right. So that's why power girl always had the reputation of being a hard ass. Right. Or a bitch because she is working through her shit. Right. And she's not letting it affect her job. And right. That, she's still power girl. She's a member of the JSA or the yeah. justice league. And that makes her a very interesting character. And, I think when you dial and, that back and she's it, just sad. Right. And it's not that she hasn't, it's not that they haven't shown that she's had moments of vulnerability. They have. Sure. But for the most part, power girl is power girl because she takes that baggage and deals with it poorly. Right. And that's a fun and interesting character trait. This power girl is just like, I'm sad. And I don't think that's growth for the character. Let's say she worked through her issue. She should be a better person. She shouldn't be like, oh, I'm so upset that I'm going to tell the super family to f*** off. (laughs) And I, I, I just want to address again the idea that this, this stuff about her being so sad that, okay, there's a super family now. And she feels like she's not welcome. Right. That's her own baggage. And that's fine. That could have been interesting. But all of this stuff about her not knowing who she is. Yeah. She dealt with that shit years right. ago. Right. It's like we talked about with Cyborg. It's like we're regressing the character right. to force the plot. It makes the character less interesting. And I, I, I don't care. This will leave it. I don't find this interesting. And which is a shame because they screwed I screwed up the marketing girl. so goddamn bad. I want to slap somebody. This is just ridiculous. And, and not these creators fault, but God, not the creators fault. Come on. But there, there's plenty of other reasons it, why this, this shouldn't <laughs> be hard. Okay. Now get back to your seat. I'll take care of this. Calm down. Calm down. Get a hold of yourself. Oh, do you want another phone? Everything's and the frustrations continue with Pathfinder, Wake the Dead, number one from Dynamite. They it's 32 pages. Do. It's $4.99. It's written by Fred Van Lenty, who we love. We love Fred. We're going to say some things here. With art by Eamon Casillos, 
color by Jorge Sutil, letters by Tom Napolitino, and main cover by Steve Ellis. Here is your solicit. New creative team, new party of Iconics, new lands of Golarian to explore, the tantalizing prospect of a rendezvous with a Geb defector in possession of priceless secrets from that undead nation brings a diverse group of adventurers to the Nexian metropolis of Ikanis, where they find themselves cornered by the city's remorseless death sealers. Can the Iconics band together for survival and escape a city full of hostile wizards alive? Pathfinder is a gaming system I don't have a lot of experience with. I've always been a D&D nerd myself, but you would hope that a writer of Fred Van Linty's talent would be able to pull in new fans and existing Pathfinder players. Well, keep hoping, because the story spends the bulk of its time introducing the new adventuring party through long discussions full of jargon sure to make poor Joe Patrick's head spin. It wasn't that the story was hard to follow. I get it. The party has to meet, then they have to team up before the adventure starts. That is role-playing 101. But there has to be a more interesting way to pull this off. The art is good. And, and while there's some action, it just wasn't enough to keep the flow of the story moving. And with the dense intros, it was hard to keep track of who was fighting who at some points. I'm still interested in playing some Pathfinder. If any of you have a group I could drop in on, but I cannot say... And I feel the need to read more of their comics. <laughs> I'm going to give this a skim it. They didn't fail. It's just, it's, it's too much talking. Just let it gently happen and I'll be fine. I'll figure it out. I'll figure out that the dwarf is a tracker. I'll figure out that the guy with the flute is, is a bard. You know, I'll get it. <laughs> Come on. I mean, what else could he be? Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's a skim it for me. And I just chalked up a lot of my ignorance to the fact that I don't know anything about Pathfinder, nor have I really read many Pathfinder comics at all. So these are a lot of these were, or at least some of these were clearly existing characters. At least the dwarf was existing, I think, because he makes reference to the main group of iconics or whatever. And so I was just like, okay, well, I just don't know anybody and that's fine. And it was just kind of a lot of, explaining it was yeah. a lot of explaining and i understand just like you i've played D. i get the whole like meet up and form the party thing in comics though you're not going to have a three-hour session reading this comic you're going to read it in 10 minutes and be like god this was boring because it's 20 pages of explaining things and like five pages of action and those numbers are are not accurate don't at me but but I mean, you the get point, it. This goes back. The point to, remains like it's just it's not it's not interesting. And it goes back uh, to Stanley parts. Stanley's rule: every comic is somebody's first. Everyone, you want to pull me in? Don't try and sell me on everything in this universe with all this jargon. Just tell me a story. Gently bring me in. Introduce these things. I'll figure it out. You know, <laughs> come on. Right. Or in you know uh, something that other role playing themed comics I've had in the past character sheets. Sure. Put the them in the back in the and back. then I can read all that stuff if I want to and go, Oh, that's who that character is. That's yeah, what they're just doing. Put character sheets in there. Sure. It, like I don't need to know everything about like who this group of assassins is and who this group of assassins is and who like who the ruling class of the, I did think it that had a lot of interesting ideas though. Like I loved the meat city, which is gross. Yeah. It was super gross. 
Uh, but I think it's so fun. It's like, I love that idea. It's just, it's too much telling and not enough showing. Right. And it's a skimmit. The art is good. The art's good. Oh, God. Play the clown, Spider-Man. But I will not last. My tempered webbing is stronger than your steel. Time to put on your earmuffs, kids. It's time. Here we go. <laughs> Escort your little shavers out of the room now because we're about to talk about the death of their beloved Ms. Marvel in Amazing Spider-Man number 26 from Marvel Comics. It's 48 pages for $4.99. It's written by Zeb Wells with pencils by John Romita Jr., inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Marcio Menez and Eric Archenega, letters by our boys at VC. VC's Joe Carmagna with a cover by Romita Jr. And, you know, presumably Hannah and one of those colorists. Here's your solicit. Now fully in the present, the emissary has returned and his power is so far beyond Spider-Man's abilities. The heroes may figure out a way to win, but the cost of victory will be so immense that you may hope they don't. Okay, that was a perfect chance to say, but at what cost victory? <laughs> yeah, know? what price? What Come price on! victory? And now the moment you've all been waiting for. The most controversial comic book of all time. Or, you know, as it turns out, not so much. This issue is the conclusion of the return of the emissary, an easily forgotten villain created by Zeb Wells and I think Chris Boccolo way back in the brand new day uh, days. The emissary was a deranged mathematician obsessed with using symbology and numerology to empower himself and ensure the return of his vengeful blood God or whatever kind of God it is. Fast forward. However many years it's been since that brand new day story and the emissary's return is here. And Pete's response to it was the mysterious incident that kicked off this volume of amazing Spidey. And now we know the full truth. Mary Jane was trapped in a post-apocalyptic world where she had to fight to survive, finding an ally and later a husband in a man named Paul, and eventually taking in two orphans that the couple raised as their own. That seems pretty quick, you might be asking, or saying to your radios or iPods or well, I mean, car stereos needed, or whatever. kids needed some place to go. Come on. I'm just saying, as far as like the whole, you know, husband and kids thing, like, it's pretty quick for all that stuff to happen. Time moved more quickly in that other world, you see. So even though it only seemed like a short time in the 616, MJ was lost for more than four years, long enough to move on from Peter and build a whole new life. What does any of that have to do with the death of Kamala Khan? Nothing! Marvel is using this book as a marketing springboard to whatever corporate synergizing bullshit that they're up to. And I think we all know what it is to get the character lined up for her big screen debut in the Marvels this November. And so Wells and artist John Romita Jr. are left to fulfill Kamala's heroic sacrifice, which will lead to the Marvel Universe's tearful, tearful, quote unquote, Goodbye. I can't next stop crying. <laughs> I'm, I'm crying right now. In next month's fallen friend one shot and her inevitable return soon after. Setting aside all of that garbage. The actual issue isn't really that bad at all. Wells incorporates Kamala's death in a way that fits with her character and with her abilities. Though her final moments are 
trying a little too hard to elicit an emotional response. There is a nice throwback to, like, I believe the original first arc of Ms. Marvel, if uh, you were there to remember it. The Emissary story has been decent on its own merits, and the story of Mary Jane and her new family is really heartbreaking. Ramita Jr., Hannah, Menes, and Arseniega deliver stellar work, proving once again that if you back him up with the right team, Jr. is one of the best Spidey artists in the business. When all is said and done, Amazing Spider-Man 26 is an okay issue that would have been a hell of a lot better without all of the obvious corporate meddlings. Giving this a skim it because, I mean, it, it is what it is, guys. Let's, it is let's, what it is. I think that's a perfect Let's not way. lie to each other. It's a, it is a, a marketing ploy. It, that's a perfect way to say it. I'm curious to see what would have happened had there been no leak. And we just went, oh man, they killed, you know, like I guarantee how you would it come off that Marvel leaked that shit themselves. Probably. But I'm just saying, had there been no leak, I still think this book goes off exactly the way it is. And quite honestly, I don't love Zeb Wells, amazing Spider-Man. I think they did a perfectly good job with, you know, Miss Marvel sacrificing herself. That was actually kind of a clever way to beat the bad guy. Right. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It no, works, it, whatever. It fit the story and it fit in with her ability. Uh, ability sure. to end with her character. There's just so much other extraneous stuff that I don't care about this story. Like the, the emissary don't care. Golden glider. Ugh, get it out of here. Oh no. Please. The gold goblin. Like, oh, pardon me. The gold guy. Pardon me. The gold why goblin. Why you would call yourself the, yeah, why you would call yourself the gold goblin when you're trying to separate yourself <laughs> right. from your past. I can't, I can't imagine. Yeah. The stuff with Mary Jane and Paul don't care. I mean, like it's just, it's not doing much for me and I'm going to give it a skim it. I think John Romita jr's art is gorgeous here. And I, I'm happy to see him inked well and drawing Spider-Man so well. But quite honestly, this is, this is a skimmit. And I feel like this whole run has been kind of a skimmit so far. I love the Beyond stuff he did. Uh, and this started well, strong. But Wells was, one of the, was just one of many writers on that. Right. Yeah. But this has just kind of know, gone to a place where I barely care. And I've liked this run more than you. But I agree that a lot of it has been like, okay, Gold Goblin. I get Ugh. it. I, I don't really love the Gold Goblin thing. But I think the Paul and Mary Jane stuff is very interesting. I and mean, especially sure. the mystery the mystery behind it, I th- I thought was compelling it, up to the point where like they revealed last issue what happened and why yeah. she was with Paul and why they had kids. I was like, oh shit. And that's fine. I just I guess I don't find these kind of Spidey villains very compelling. It's like Spider-Man probably shouldn't be fighting a villain like this. It's almost, it's borderline irresponsible. (laughs) The Avengers should be fighting this villain, you know? And, but I did like this arc in particular, though. I agree that there have been some weaker storylines in the, in the series. I did like this arc and yeah, the emissary is whatever, but skim it. it, Yeah. It's, it's a shame that, uh, you know, Disney or whoever the higher ups couldn't just, keep their hands off of it. Deal with Ms. Marvel in a different way. You know, I don't even have that problem to be perfectly honest. If they want to do it here, fine. I, that doesn't bother me. Makes no sense for it to be. In the I just don't care None. about the story. I don't care about the story. Well, that's fine. That's fine. The longest title of the week award goes to the savage strength of Starstorm Number one from image is 32 pages of three ninety nine. It's written and drawn by drew Craig. Who's Wes Craig's little brother? I think it's adorable. Hey. Yeah, might be his big brother. I don't know. Colors I think and it's his big brother actually. I think it is his big brother. Colors and letters by Jason Finestone. Here is your solicit series premiere. 
Orphaned amnesiac high school student Grant Garrison is just attempting to navigate his present and recall his past when a meteor decimates his school. In the rubble, Grant discovers a strange artifact from another galaxy, the weapon known as the Starstorm, and the power that resides within it will determine not only his and his friends' future, but the fate of the entire universe. Featured a very cover by Drew Craig's little brother, Wes Craig. There is a lot of nostalgia packed into this comic, and it starts with some very Starlin-esque characters on the first page. Drew Craig obviously grew up reading comics in the 90s, and he's celebrating them here, but the nostalgia gets a little thick at times. So much so, the comic almost becomes an exercise in knowing exactly what comes next if you grew up reading these same comics. I like the art style at some points in the book. The The opening spread looks great. The main character's transformation into Starstorm was awesome. But some of the action was hard to follow, to say the least. Like, the pages where we see Starstorm's origin were strange. After a second look and some help from both the solicit and a live action and a video trailer for this comic on the image site, I realized that a meteor hit the school carrying the artifact that changes our hero into Starstorm. So we can battle a doomsday homage after that. But at first, while looking at it, I said to myself, is this high school in space? Maybe <laughs> I wasn't really sure. <laughs> The Savage Strength of Starstorm is definitely a love letter to the 90s cosmic comics from Marvel and DC, but it gets a little too tied up in its own nostalgia instead of giving us a new take leading to a fairly predictable story. It's not bad and has some charm, but I need a little more than obviously recognizable visual references and name dropping like Kirby High School to bring me back for more. I'm, I'm giving this a skim it. This is sort of the opposite of what happened in We Are Scarlet Twilight, where it's doing a thing. And it surprises you. This just kind of did the thing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. there was no yeah. twist. There wasn't, they didn't really add to that discourse. You know, that's, that's my only issue. Yeah. I mean, I thought it looked good. It didn't all I look didn't, good. There were panels that didn't look good. Yeah. I mean, look, it's clear that Wes and Drew kind of grew up inspired by the same sorts of sure, things. Sure. Because you can see Wes Craig's art uh, style in in this, but it's also kind of a mix between a lot of other things like, you know, Eric Larson, I see yeah. Jim Starlin, obviously definitely from the first page. So I think that it's got, you know, an interesting style. Yeah. It's not all executed. Great. The faces are kind of pointy. Juvenile. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it really does look like this. Uh, well, no, there's trees outside. I, know. I don't know. I'm look. I'm looking at the art because I read this last week uh, when we got our preview copies, and uh, so I'm trying to refresh my memory. But yeah, it it is very unclear that this uh, that this high school is on Earth. But, right? Hey, come on, it, it must be. It must yes. Be it's very Starlin esque. You know, there's this two page. There's this two page thing where he first transforms into a star storm where it's like an issue of warlock where warlock. Oh, sure. Remember, remembers every moment of his entire life in two huge in like one, you know, huge splash page or two huge splash pages. And, you know, that's beautiful. But then, you know, like you said, they're just doing the thing. Yeah. Radiant black. We are Scarlet Twilight. 
they do the thing, but then they add to the thing. Right. Or, or they do the thing in a different way. They're this not is painting just, by the numbers. It's not just like, add this here, add this here. Now this you have is a just kind of more of a thing, but it's modern instead of Silver yeah. Agey. It's not bad. Um, nothing. It's a skimmit, though. You know, it's a skimmit. I, I was hoping for more because I thought the cover looked rad, but yeah. <laughs> I can't believe we survived reviewing the most controversial comic book of all time. I know, right? A lot of controversy today. <laughs> we got links in our show notes for more details on all of these comics, but now it's time to pick the one comic that stood out as the best and possibly most controversial read and or, you know, not necessarily yeah, yeah. the same. It could be either or. But also not mutually exclusive. Matt. Which one of these comics are you putting in the THN permanent collection? I'm going with Battle Action. It, it was just refreshing. It was beautiful to look at. It, you can tell there's a ton of work that went into it, and these guys love these classic war comics. And like I said, nobody does it better than Garth Ennis. I mean, you want someone to do a war comic? He is your guy. <laughs> it's, this, it was a great read. I loved it. Great surprise. I mean, it's true. At first, I was going to give it to We Are Scarlet Twilight because... It caught me off guard in the best way. It was but really good. The only comic that I read this week that made me go, oh, I need to read more of this. And thankfully, there's already a bunch of it for me to do so. It, that's super massive. The super massive one shot. It was great. It's, it's so good. And like I can't say this enough. I'm serious when I say that it really inspired me to go back and read what I've been missing and so far, I'm having a blast doing it. And you, you can, so, like I said, you can tell these guys are having fun making these comics. You can just see it, it on the page. Not only that, but like, obviously, I'm not a professional and uh, I'm an amateur artist at best and blah, blah, blah. I've certainly never written anything worth reading. But when I was a kid, I made my own comics, right? Like all, all a lot of nerdy kids grow up making their own comics. And there is a joy that comes with building your own shared comic book universe and you can tell that these people are reveling in that oh way. absolutely absolutely and that's why i'm giving super massive my uh i'm bagging aboard in that business Once again, we finished an ugly, violent, and controversial review session, and now we venture to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to reflect on the terrible opinions we voiced in front of the internet and everybody. We should probably just move this shit to a Twitter space where it belongs with the other garbage, to be honest, but... I already signed us up for our blue check. <laughs> Let's try eight, and wash our humiliation. Eight bucks a month. <laughs> Let's try and wash our humiliation away with our must-read picks for next week. Joe Patrick. What should these listeners be picking up next new comic book day, Wednesday, June 7th? Please do not cancel your Patreon membership. I did not spend your money on a Twitter. <laughs> uh, no, God, no. My pick for next week is the ambassadors. Number six from image. It's five 99. It's written by Mark Miller with art by Mateo Scalera. Here's your solicit miniseries finale. The ambassador for Mexico completes the team as they face their first major conflict together and find out the truth behind Chun He Chung's husband's superhuman upgrade program. 
you know that it's important because it's P-R-O-G-R-A-M-M-E. Yeah, it's programmy. A pro- it's a programmy. It's a programmy. And the rich guys around the world who have paid him a fortune for it. Now, this was something that came out, I think, during one of our off weeks or maybe during the holidays even. And so we missed reviewing number one and thus never reviewed any of it. It was promoted as this big, big deal because it is this collaborative effort between Miller and a different huge name artist in every single issue. Uh, like Olivia, Qua- Olivier Quapel was here. Uh, Travis Cheris was here. Yeah. Like all Matteo Scalera, obviously uh, Frank quietly. And so it has been a crazy ride as we've seen the ambassador program kind of build this international super team. And I'm interested to see how it all shakes out. So the ambassadors, number six, my pick of the week, Matt bomb. What you got? My pick for next week is Loki. Number one from Marvel. It's four 99. It's written by Dan waters with art by German Peralta or Herman Peralta. I don't know. Here's your solicit or German. I don't doubt that. <laughs> Here's your solicit. Loki saves the Marvel universe? Question mark. He may be the benevolent god of stories now, but Loki's past as the god of lies returns to haunt him when ancient powerful weapons he once built end up scattered across the ten realms. Loki must track down these weapons before they fall into the wrong hands and bring about Ragnarok. Surprising guest stars, exciting new characters, and startling twists await in this all-new miniseries by rising stars Dan Waters, who worked on Sword of Asriel. He also worked on, um, oh, what was the other book that we liked? Oh, Seasons Have Teeth. Seasons Have Teeth, yeah. I just read number two. I was just going to say, like, I, I just read fantastic. Dan Waters' book the other day. And German yeah. Peralta, who worked on Black Panther. It is rated T+. I want... Keep the kids out, keep the kids out of the room for that one, too. Yeah. Dan Waters is an exciting new writer and his sort of Asriel, it started a little slow, ended really well. I ended up loving it. Seasons Have Teeth is incredible. I think he is a writer to watch. It's going to be a lot of fun. And German Peralta kicks Oh, God, ass. German Peralta. God, he's German good. Peralta is so good. He is so uh, good. Uh, and even he- though... He- even though he got stuck drawing that Kazar miniseries where Kazar got weird sort of jello Still symbiote can't powers. Can't tell me it wasn't beautiful. It was it was gorgeous. gorgeous. Yeah. Jello symbiote powers. I don't know. I don't know how else to but describe it. But it. it was a jello symbiote like it wasn't really a swim symbiote, suit. it was like an alien. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it was a, it was his loincloth, yeah, right? It became his look. It's weird. Boy. Uh, Dan Waters also doing great work in the Sandman universe. That's uh, true. Like, yes. uh, Night- Nightmare Country. He worked on Lucifer as well. Everybody's favorite toothed nightmare, the Corinthian, one of my faves. The THN trade of the week for June 7th. That can't be right. Oh, God. The slow march of time is killing us all. It's Amazing Spider-Man Beyond Omnibus from Marvel. It is a hardcover. Get this, Matt. It is... 672 pages. Yeah, man. It was two issues a month for a, what was it, a year? Yeah. <laughs> it's a hundred bucks. It's a, it's going to set you back a hundo, but I'll say it again. 672 pages. It's written by Zeb Wells, who, you know, <laughs> we said very complimentary things about earlier in the episode, <laughs> as well as other people, Kelly Thompson, you know, lots of people wrote it. Yeah. Art by Patrick Gleason for the most part and friends love Patrick Gleason. I love his friends. Yeah, I mean, what's not to love? He's a great group of friends, that guy. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. 
Here is your solicit. Spider-Man's clone is back with the official sponsorship of the Beyond Corporation and training from the Daughters of the Dragon. Ben Riley is suiting up as Spider-Man once again. But wait, what happened to Peter Parker? Donning the webs has placed a target on Ben's back and Morbius and Craven are out for blood, as is new nightmarish nemesis, the Queen Goblin. Ooh. But is something more insidious going on in the halls of beyond? Spoiler alert. Yes. Big time. <laughs> Dr. Octopus makes a devastating return and Mary Jane teams with the black cat. And as Ben's situation slowly spins out of control, two spiders, man's uh, two spiders, men spider find themselves man's. We have talked about this. So oh, many that's times. right. Sorry. I forgot. We already decided <laughs> two spider man's find themselves on a collision course that will change everything. Now this collects amazing Spider-Man, the volume that started in 2018 issues 75 through 93 issue 78 dot B E Y number 80 dot B E Y number 88 dot B E Y and number 92 B E Y Mary Jane and black cat beyond, uh, which was a one shot and material from amazing Spider-Man 74 and free comic book day 2021 spider-man slash venom boy that is a lot of real stuff it's also a lot of real dumb titles yeah a lot of dumb titles but it was a really fun i liked i really liked spider-man beyond i I did did. too and i was mad about it and i did not want to read it and you were like no matt bomb you have to read it and i read it i was like joe patrick you're right this is really good almost made me care about ben riley until they screwed him up right yeah well (laughs) whatever if you want to read these comics along with us, be sure to add them to your pull file now and let us know what you're excited to read in the new comic section of our Discord. I promise the show is almost over, but before we go, here's a sneak peek of our most controversial THN Extra of all time. It's like we can't help ourselves. I know. <laughs> Pure controversy. <laughs> and you can get full access to it when you support THN on Patreon for as little as $1 per month. Five, four, three, two, Welcome to your THN Extra for this week, and uh, we only do this for patrons because they pay more for this shit, and we work twice as hard on it because of it. The rest of the show, garbage. This is where the real I cut, quality is, folks, all I, right? I, I, cut, I cut and paste most of this stuff from the internet. I don't know what you're talking about. Today, we're doing our top five Spider-Mans. Not that Spider-Man. Because not uh, that Spider-Man. We get enough of that guy. Yep. We're talking about top five Spider-People that are not... Well, I should say not the traditional Peter Parker. Uh, I mean, yeah, they're right? not right. Okay. Uh, I mean, we'll get into it. You know, yeah. we'll argue, we can talk about the semantics later. But yeah, we're not talking about main Peter Parker here. We're talking about the variations found throughout the wide, woolly wide Spider-Verse, right. if you will. It's speaking of which, we got a Spider-Verse movie hitting this weekend. Very excited. Coming out. Lots yeah, of spider buddy. people are starring in it. So we figured we'd count down our top five. Joe Patrick, I insist. Sweeties first. You go ahead, baby. Hey. Uh, so I have a few ultimate, uh, ultimate. I have a few honorable mentions. Uh, I just want to talk about real fast. Um, it was difficult for me to narrow it down to five. Like I knew, I knew my top few right off the bat. 
and they'll they'll be pretty obvious if you think about it. But just um, eliminating some to get it down to five was tough for me. So I want to give a quick shout out to uh, Spider Gwen, aka Ghost Spider, who I do really like as a character. I just don't have enough experience with her solo adventures to have included her on yeah, the list. I read enough, but I, either. she's cool. I just, I but I think her. that, like, I think that she is an excellent addition to the Spider mythos, if you will. Uh, we did have a whole episode where we went off on the Gwenning over at Marvel and how Gwen should not be a big deal. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, it's it is what it is. It's I mean, the cat's out of the bag. She is a big deal now. So I guess. Uh, I also want to uh, give a shout out to Spider Punk, uh, who I wanted to mention only because I love his uh, design and I love that he is named Hobart. Yeah, uh, those two things tickle me, and I just think it's really funny. Uh, so I I love Spider Punk. I I don't know any. I know that he is in. He's from a uh, a, a, a version of Earth where uh, President Norman Osborn has created a, a fascist United States, and he's an anarchist. Uh, you know, revolutionary, whatever. Is he All from great. the same uh, Spider versus Spidey UK? The the no, Spider Spider Man UK is from his own universe. He's from the Captain oh, Britain Corps. Okay, from, yeah, you know. Yeah, he's Spider um, Spider Braddock or whatever. Spider, yeah, his name is Peter Braddock, I think. Yeah, I think um, you're right. Uh, but yeah, Hobart Hobart Brown, uh, who in the main six one six universe uh, is better known as Hobie Brown, aka the Prowler, uh, and now I believe he's the Hornet. I think he took up one of Spider Man's uh, old slingers identities and became the Hornet. Fair enough. But um, yeah, Spider Punk is rad. I just like everything about him. And finally, my uh, last honorable mention goes to the OG Ultimate Spider-Man, who I did not include on the list because I think we're going to... I didn't either. Yeah. I think his legacy is going to get touched on in our list, and that's that was good enough. Also, he's a Peter Parker, and I was kind of avoiding Peter. And I had the thinking, like, there is a Peter Parker on my list, but I had the thinking that Ultimate Peter was just like a little too real. It felt a little too easy. Right. Uh, It's a little too real Peter. But yes, exactly. But um, like ultimate Peter Parker, the ultimate uh, universe, Peter Parker did so much for all of these characters. Sure. And sure. I think he did a lot to get um, to get the lore of Spider-Man out in the world in a way that the mainstream comics just never did. So like there's a reason why you see Mark Bagley's Spider-Man on backpacks and lunchboxes and shit. Yeah. And yeah. So. Enough of that. My number five is uh, one that I'm sure uh, is going to make Matt Bomb's teeth throb. It is Spider Boy from the Amalgam Universe. Man. (laughs) Uh, In uh, the Amalgam Universe, Spider-Man was combined with DC's Superboy. We're talking leather jacket and glasses and, uh, you know, thigh pouches, all the things Matt loves. Uh, Don't forget the funky sunglasses. Yes, I mentioned this. Oh, you did. You did. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, to create Spider Boy. But in the Amalgam continuity, Spider Boy is the clone of a researcher named Peter Parker created during an explosion in the Project Cadmus Labs. He was adopted by Cadmus Director General Thunderbolt Ross, Amalgam baby. And he he takes the name Pete Ross, uh, who is obviously a not that Pete Ross. Uh, you know, the, the <laughs> familiar, a familiar name if you yeah. know Superman. That's uh, clever, though. They got it all there. I, they, they made, they, they gave got him, it all. Yeah, he's Pete Ross. Yeah.
Excelsior. Oh. That is it for THN 705 next week. The Cosmic Long Box returns, forcing us to talk about back-issue comics based on a theme that we will let you know about soon. In the meantime, check out our we certainly recap. We certainly have, we always have it uh, settled. Oh, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Joe, we don't come up with it. The Cosmic Long Box tells us, okay? Wink, Right, yes, wink. right. <laughs> In the meantime, check out our Nerd News Recap, hitting your feed every other Monday, and join us for the THN cover-to-cover gang hang Saturdays at 11 o'clock Central Time. Check out our Discord for details. Joe Patrick, what else can they do while at our Discord? Maybe you'd like to discuss the state of the dialogue in the recent Action Comics backups. Not the Power Girl ones, the Steel ones. Perhaps you want to read more Atrigan the Demon comics, but quote-unquote, only the good stuff. (laughs) Or maybe you want to answer the question of the week. This week's question was inspired by our discussion about Daredevil's imaginary twin brother Mike Murdoch and the horrifying truth about Lockjaw during the last cover-to-cover gang hang. Which comic book character, superhero or otherwise, has the dumbest origin story love it i love it I do too. <laughs> please keep your question of the week suggestions coming you can post them on our discord if you're not on the discord sign up with the link at twoheadednerd.com slash discord there you'll find channels for all of our segments or you can send an mp3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com and we'll put you on the dang show if you're new to the show and you'd rather sacrifice yourself to an all-powerful mathematician than listen to any more, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of the THN in our digital long box archive at twitter.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would have a shitload of ads if it wasn't for the generosity of donors like our patron, Corbett Getman. If you like what you hear every week, like Corbett does, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. Corbett Getman sounds like a reporter that works for the Daily Planet, right? <laughs> yeah, like a right? like a like a friendly rival to Clark Kent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like nice guy. Or somebody that works on like um you know, the entertainment desk. Yeah. Corbett Getman. Floors with Lois a little too much. You know, like, I mean, he I He writes get the it. movie reviews. It's Corbett friendly, Getman at the movies. But uh, she's a married woman. Okay, Corbett, chill out. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Ms. Tina Turner, arguably one of the most influential and important musicians of our time. But in the ziggurat, she will always be remembered as the massive shoulder pad and earring wearing anti-entity from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Rest in power, Auntie. You will always rule Bartertown. It's true, man. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might beat up the big guy that carries you around. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.